0: Well, I hope you grabbed three things when you came in. First was a candle, because we're going to light them in just a minute. The second was a juice and a wafer. And the third was a little red bag back in the back. That is a Christmas gift to you from Miss Madeline Polly. She bought them, and she bagged them. It's a white stone. And she I'm going to let her come when she comes back and let her tell you about that, okay? But that's her gift to you for this Christmas. And you can read in Revelation about the white stone... And the new name. And that's kind of what she was implying there. John chapter 1 is where I'm going to be tonight for just a moment as we think about the birth of our Savior. I read this recently, and this is what a man wrote. Are there any significant births in the year 1809? Well, here are a few. William Gladstone was born in Liverpool. Alfred Tennyson born uh, took his first breath in Lincolnshire. Oliver Wendell Holmes cooed in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Edgar Allan Poe began his brief but tragic life in Boston. And a physician named Darwin named his firstborn son Charles, all in the year 1809. Also on a windswept log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, sheltered the birth of a boy named Abraham Lincoln. It all happened in 1809, virtually without anyone noticing and, get this, caring about their birth. But go back nearly 18 centuries before that and you'll discover another baby who was born in obscurity. Born against the sparkling backdrop of Rome, the whole world was on fire with the flames of Rome's rampaging expansion. What could possibly have been more important than Caesar's decrees or Rome's massive building programs? While Rome was busy conquering the world, another conqueror slipped into the scene quietly and humbly in a cave in Bethlehem. How silently he came. He came not to conquer the world, but to conquer the human heart with his love and grace. Paul wrote, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba Father. 21 centuries ago, something significant happened while Rome was busy making history. God arrived on the scene. He pitched his fleshly tent in silence on straw in a stable under a star. That's so like our God, quietly, humbly making his entrance. That's still how he moves. He will not storm the fortress of your stubborn heart. Instead, he stands patiently at the door, knocking as he waits to be invited in. Will you let him in this season? Do you have room for him today? The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, or verses 12 through 13, I want you to look at this text closely. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Notice three great things here. Back in verse 11, the text says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. Some people have called this a great tragedy. Can you imagine this? God becoming flesh. He comes down to the earth to his own people, Israel, his own nation. And his own nation rejects him. The great tragedy. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. You know, we would be amiss in a Christmas Eve service. If you came tonight just thinking that Christmas was about gifts or family or about Warm fuzzies. That's really not what Christmas is about at all. Christmas is about God coming on a rescue mission to save our soul from sin. We were helpless, hopeless, and lost. There's not one thing we could do for ourselves to earn one ounce of favor with Almighty God apart from God's intervention. And God came unto His own. And so like today, many people say, we don't want you. And you know, that's the greatest tragedy in life when someone pushes the Savior away. When he comes for us and we push him away or we run from him, that's a tragedy. And it was a tragedy in Israel. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But I want you to notice that there's also a transaction but as many as received him, he gave the right or the authority to become the sons of God. This is what we would call a transaction in a way of when we accept him as our Savior, when we believe upon him and what he did for us when he died, was buried and rose again. Something happens, folks, in our life. It's called the great transaction. He takes our sin and he gives us His righteousness. You can never go on record and trade sin for righteousness. But that's exactly what happens. The great transaction. Our sin becomes His sin. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And there's this exchange in heaven whereby we are seen just as Jesus. So there's a tragedy. There's a transaction And I want you to notice the last part, and that is in the bottom of verse 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right. Look at that. That word right means authority. Something that someone with power grants you in order that you may do this. When you believe, he gives you the authority, his authority, to become what? Children of God. By belief, by faith, by trust in Christ, we have the authority to become His sons. This is wonderful. This is incredible. And this is a great transformation. We go from a slave to a son. From a sinner to a saint. We go from hell-bound to heaven-bound. And why do we do this? Because of the great transformation. We become a child of God. So, what's Christmas about? It's about God giving us a Savior who we didn't deserve, who we could never earn, and who there is no way, no way we could have ever accomplished what He did. And God gave Him to us as a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. What does the Bible say? By grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The greatest gift on Christmas is God giving us His Son. Have you received Him? You know, God's will for us is not to come to this earth and live 90 years of life. God's purpose for us on this Earth is to realize that He has a purpose for us, and that purpose is for us to live with Him for eternity. Not 90 years. 90 trillion times 90 trillion. We will be living with Him. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to spend eternity with Him. How did He make it possible for us to do that? By this great gift of His Son. And folks, that is what Christmas is all about the tragedy, the transaction, and the transformation when we accept Christ as our Savior. Father, thank you this Christmas Eve for the blessing that our Savior is in our life. Thank you that he's given us purpose, a living hope, and that we have the power of the resurrected Christ living inside of us. And, oh, Lord, help us not to lose the real meaning of Christmas in a world that seems it has forgotten the need of a Savior. May we be reminded tonight that Jesus is truly the reason for this season. We thank you in his name and for his sake. Amen.